Hey everyone, it's Jen. This is Katie. And this is the Them Before Us podcast. This is going to be an episode, like a hot topics episode, and we need like a cool name for it, but I haven't come up with one yet. We're going to like, I don't know, focus group it, TBU hot, TBU topics, TBU hot topics, something like that. So we're going to go through a few different articles and just talk about the Them Before Us children's rights perspective on them. So Katie, first article I have for us is from Esquire magazine and the title is a good sperm donor is hard to find so this is written by a woman who has a female partner and she starts off by saying she the whole article is sort of written with a sense of humor so she's if she sounds kind of snarky or whatever she means it to be humorous in the larger context i'm just going to read some highlights she said we tempted those pesky fertility gods by daring to wait until we were almost 35 to consider having kids. And she says, medical professionals call anything after 35 a geriatric pregnancy, right? So, and then she says, but now you have to put on top of that wanting to find a sperm donor, which means it's gonna take even longer. So they're sort of caught off guard by like, oh man, this process is gonna take a long time. She says, they say certain things take longer when you're queer. This is especially true when it comes to forming a family. Our plumbing prevents a speedy and seamless experience. We couldn't delay it any longer. Your plumbing actually prevents it because it's biological reality that two women cannot produce a child. But <clears throat> this is very interesting. They say they decided to use a cryobank because they thought that would be easier than finding a known donor. And that's, she said, our friends just told us that's kind of what we do. So everyone goes to the sperm bank. She said the process was like a high stakes mashup of the worst parts of online shopping, the doubt, the unpredictability and online dating with its anxieties, disappointments and unintentional hilarity. And then her partner and I kept we kept saying we wanted to find a buddy, someone we could grab beers with, but we weren't even sure what that would look like in this scenario. Besides, I'd stopped thinking critically about men when I stopped dating them 15 years ago. When it comes to the opposite sex, I don't have a type or even criteria for red flags. I'm a lesbian. The entire male species is a red flag for me. It starts out with her basically being like, um, she starts communicating to us. I started realizing men and women were different is what's fascinating already this. I started seeing sperm donor profiles less as a means to create our family and more like a portal into the male psyche. And then she describes some things. And maybe you can speak to this, Katie, just to start off. She starts talking about, I started realizing men are like, they always think they rate themselves as above average on things. She's like, she's like, seriously, almost every single one of them was super confident. But, and she said, granted, this is a, you know, you're writing a profile. You want someone to pick you and think you're a good person or whatever. Um, And she, uh, she said in her perspective, if she wanted people to choose her eggs, she wouldn't highlight, well, I'm very nurturing or I'm very, so isn't that fascinating? It's almost like she's realizing men and women are different through this process. Well, and what's amazing to me is, you know, she she sees men as foreign right like she doesn't understand them she doesn't know how to interact with them like she she doesn't know how to categorize them and um their their natural behavior where men do tend to be a little more competitive a little more aggressive i imagine that comes out in like dating profiles especially when you're marketing your sperm right yeah. you're going to build yourself up and it's it's so bizarre to her because she's created a world without men right she has an existence 
that does that excludes men largely from her interpersonal relationships. And that's really problematic because there's a possibility that she could raise a man. She could have a child that is a boy. I mean, now right. maybe maybe she will decide that only a female embryo was going to be implanted. But being familiar with the world of men and including them in your child's world, especially having one in their home, is actually really important to child development. It's really important to human development, right? And so the fact, I mean, to me, the fact that she feels so uncomfortable and unfamiliar with half of the human population, right. and she wants to raise a child within the human population, you know, that is, to me, right there. Right there, you've got, okay, look, you you already are, don't have the perspective needed to really um, help your child develop where they can operate in the world functionally, because half of the world has men in it. Right. Was that your experience when you, <clears throat> when your parents split up and your mom repartnered with a woman, was that then the, your mom's side of your world, very female centric? Absolutely. And, you know, it's so interesting because, um, and, and my mom and dad were still friends, thank goodness. So they actually, you know, he was the, he was the sort of male presence in, in her life, but among their friend groups, they didn't hang out with a lot of heterosexual couples. I mean, they still had a few and later on that was more the case, but there really was a world of women that um, that they occupied. And I've talked with other people who were raised by lesbians exclusively. And they said, yeah, there were, there were just no men around at all. Um, and interestingly, you know, a few of them said it was this tight community of women and not a lot of, some new women kind of came in, a few went out, but largely they remained the same. And it was not uncommon for those lesbians to break up and then repartner with one another. Mm -hmm. And so within that community, several women would have uh, been partnered with several of the other women, right? So yeah. it was just very insular <clears throat> in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. She said this idea of like, you're staring at a screen, you know, and you see so many applications and there's so much information actually sort of made it that she said they had decision paralysis. Sometimes we filter donors by certain characteristics like height or hair color. And you can imagine skin colors playing into this. She said, we realized it seemed like every man was either lying about his height or men weren't as tall as they were looking for them to be. It felt fascinating too, that she was almost, it almost seemed like she was saying she was still looking for the things that are sort of stereotypically maybe that when women tend to look for in men right you know they kind of say we tend to look for men who are taller you have this idea of like are they going to be a good hunter gatherer and then mm -hmm. stereotypically men are looking for women that these markers of fertility you know like mm -hmm. I don't know more plush Wide, hair curvier yeah. yeah so well, that's fascinating it's interesting to me you know that she is going through she's actually going through a eugenics process mm -hmm. right if this is a eugenic process where you are screening out undesirables right and selecting in you know the people and the characteristics that you want to continue on in your lineage and um so it's just so interesting to me that they're going through this commercial selective process um and then i'm you know, it's no wonder that the kids who are created through these processes feel like they were designed because she is going through the process of designing her child. Another thing is, you know, there's all kinds of headlines and I'm sure we'll cover this in our, you know, whatever child-centric trending news podcast episodes, but um, 
we're there's regular reports of women that are suing IVF clinics and suing donors because they misreported the facts of on their profile. They, mm. you know, they reported that they had a PhD in psychology, but actually they had a mental illness. Oh, wow. And so there really is, there really is something important to knowing the person you're making a baby with, right? And yeah. being able to evaluate them and, hey, you've misled me in terms of, I mean, when you're like, doing Tinder or whatever it is dating app. I think a lot of the times you get to the place and you're like, okay, you do not look anything like your profile picture. And you obviously have, you know, poor social skills I'm leaving. And so there really is something about being able to evaluate a potential mate by knowing them in person. And, and there is a protection that is involved with actually having a relationship with people you're making babies with. Right. And the whole IVF world, the world of donor sperm and donor egg actually allows you to bypass something that's pretty important and pretty critical um, when it comes to who, who you're going to create together. Yeah. Wow. Which you'll see at the end of this, she basically comes to agree with that, but then misses a really large point that we will, that we'll make. She says, <clears throat> My friends encouraged me to see past my own judgments, to remember that nurture counts as much as nature, to rightfully tell me I was being an a-hole and that the only thing that would matter was the baby's health. I made a note. I think this was the first time a baby was mentioned at all, or the Mm -hmm. baby was mentioned Mm -hmm. almost at the very end. And then she says she calls up the sperm bank and basically says, can I just get genetic information and not know anything else about the donors? Like she thought that would kind of help her make the decision. She finishes by saying, egg and sperm banks provide an invaluable service to couples and individuals who want to have a child but can't conceive the old fashioned way. Without them, the world would have a lot fewer queer families and nobody except a bunch of bigots wants that. That we all get to make families regardless of our parts is a reality worth celebrating and perpetuating with more and more donor conceived children. She says, even though they thought this was a normal thing for queer families to do, go to the sperm bank, it, nothing about the process felt normal. And she finishes off by saying, we decided we wanted to know the man who gave us the sperm. But this is why she says that. We decided we wanted to know our donor. We wanted to know why we liked him. And we wanted to have personally experienced his goodwill. We figured the extra legwork would be worth it if it meant being able to tell our child, should they ever ask, we chose who we did because we knew for certain he was a very good man. Mm. They finished the whole article by saying, we did decide we wanted to know who he was and leave out leave a pretty, pretty glaring, they missed something pretty glaring from our perspective. Right. Well, and again, you look at these and I'm glad that she mentioned the health of the baby, right? There was a consideration there, but really these decisions are guided by their comfort level, largely, you know, what works for them. And always as, as it always goes, almost always in these is the rights, the well-being, the needs, the desires of the child are completely absent from the equation, right? The child has a right to know they don't just need genetic information about their dad. They want to have a relationship with their dad. They want to have him catching, you know, throwing the football in the front yard, wrestling with him. You know, they want him taking him, her on daddy daughter dates, right? They, they long for the daily connection. They don't just need a genetic profile, but um, again, you know, in this world of, of reproductive technologies and kind of the queer, as she put it, marriage and family world, 
it's their right to build a family, right? Which is always going to mean the child loses out on their actual right to a daily relationship with both their mother and father. So it's nice that she was able to put her finger on why some of these aspects are so uncomfortable, mm -hmm. but the right conclusion is not, let's figure out what works for us. The right conclusion is, let's conform our lives and our desires around the rights and well-being of baby, which means we don't exclude their father. We don't purchase them from a catalog. You know, we don't make, we don't, we actually have a marital relationship with the child's opposite sex parents so they can have both in their life every day. But of course that would require massive sacrifice on behalf of adults, which is actually what a just society looks like anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. listening to the Them Before Us podcast. Make sure you head over to thembeforeus.com to find us on social media, sign up for our newsletter, donate, and more. Thanks for joining the movement. Okay, our next story is from People Magazine. They have a series, I think, something about, they highlight different kinds of families at People. So this is the title of, of the People Magazine article. Couple carrying each other's baby, thanks to reciprocal IVF, give birth days apart. We got very fortunate. I have this article highlighted, notes I had to reread and read through a few different times to try and figure out exactly what's happening here. Have you heard of reciprocal IVF? You sent me the article and I also was like, what, what is happening? I had so, to read it. Through. So I yeah. haven't heard it, heard it before. Okay. So reciprocal IVF basically means uh, a same sex couple. Well, women, it can only be women, a same sex female couple carrying each other's genetic child at the same time. And I guess from what I read, even in here, it's pretty rare and pretty hard to coordinate them at the same time. So I'll just get I'll just get going with it and then uh, would love your comments. So it says coordinating a miracle birth takes a little planning and a lot of luck. Just ask Florida couple Cassandra and Faith, who wanted to carry each other's biological child and have the babies delivered within a few days of each other. They said it was important for us to go through this together. Uh, their doctor, fertility doctor, said this is the first time she's ever had a couple who wanted to be pregnant and deliver at the same time. And we were cautioning them. It's pretty unlikely. So don't get your hopes up. They ended up giving birth three days apart. So the motivation behind wanting to do this, they said <clears throat> their determination to carry each other's baby and swap family names came from their desire to make certain there was no doubt their daughters were a part of both parents. Okay. They're also acknowledging something that we talk a lot about when it comes to surrogacy. You're acknowledging in some way, wait, what do you mean part of both parents? You mean because a child care, you, the mom carried the baby? Mm -hmm. She has some kind of unique bond now? So this mm -hmm. article is revealing that thought process. I got to be able to create a bond with a being that I'm making who may not genetically be mine, but who gave her life. And then everyone will know these are and will always be our children. And then they go on to explain, no matter which, uh, this is the article itself is just describing to the reader, no matter which egg carrying option is used, couples need a sperm donor. They can choose an anonymous donor from a sperm bank, like we just read about, or a known donor who's often a friend or relative. 
Faith did not want to have someone she knew donate. Interesting. So the couple opted for the same anonymous sperm donor for both their children, making their daughters biological half-siblings. We narrowed it down to physical attributes we felt would represent us. Mm -hmm. The couple believes reciprocal IVF allows bonding the baby to both the biological parent and the birth parent. And if we, we read People Magazine articles about surrogacy all the time, that don't talk, that don't mention that or say that there isn't one. And then she points out another reasoning for why she wanted to do this. One of the women, she says her sister had a son with her ex-wife. So her sister also identifies as gay and was partnered <clears throat> to a woman. And then my family said some hateful things. I didn't want any bigotry with the genetic and non-genetic children. So the simplest way to fix that was to switch it up. Okay. I'd love your comments so far. Well, it's, interesting you know the way we explain surrogacy to people is that surrogacy splices what should be one woman mother into three purchasable and optional women so the first one is the genetic mother that gives the child their biological identity that's the egg donor or the egg giver um, the second one is the birth mother that forms that forms the bond with the baby for the first nine and a half months and that is not inconsequential it's foundational for the child's long-term um, attachment and trust and then the third is the social mother, the woman that is going to provide the daily maternal love and care, that feminine, distinctly feminine um, involvement throughout the child's life every day as they grow. So what we see, and we, we say none of these women are optional in the life of the child, right? The child needs all three. And when the child cannot find all three in the same woman, the child suffers loss. Mm -hmm. So what's very interesting is in many reproductive technology situations where they're using an egg donor, they'll say, well, the genetics doesn't matter, right? Biology doesn't matter, right? We looked at the last one where they're like, well, it doesn't matter that this child doesn't have a relationship with their father. Who cares, right? right. You know, it's, it's nurture, not nature. And then you'll see in surrogacy situations, they'll say, well, the birth mother doesn't matter, right? The child doesn't know that they are not genetically related um, you know, they don't care. They're going to be raised by these loving heterosexual couples, or maybe it's their genetic parent, or maybe it's two men or whatever, but that bond does is inconsequential. Doesn't matter, right? And then for gay couples, they'll say, well, the social mother doesn't matter. We don't need a woman in this child's life every day. And so what you see is actually these women acknowledging that all three matter. They right. understand that it's important for the child to have a bond with their genetic parent. And the parents want that, right? They each want their own genetic child and then they each want to bond with a child right so we see from the adult perspective they acknowledge the importance of biological connection the importance of a bond with the birth parent and then the importance of having that connection with the children every day right so it's amazing to me that then they will then say the genetic father and connection to the child is unimportant right right it matters to us that we have a genetic connection with our child, but we will, and we bet that those kids will think it's very special that they are each genetically related to one of us. And I bet the child will think it's very special that they each were carried by one of us, mm -hmm. but we are building this family with the expectation that they will think it's unimportant for the child to have a relationship with their own father. So it's just, 
it is absolutely this this adult obsessiveness with what they want just warps reality mm -hmm. completely warps reality everything that matters to them matters to the utmost to the point where you're going to make babies in laboratories you know pump yourself full of hormones so that you can then implant the embryo of the opposite woman um and time it in a way so you can hopefully give birth at the same time i mean all of these things are so important to the women mm -hmm. and they completely disregard what might be important to the child. And that's right. how it goes in most marriage and family situations, but definitely in reproductive technology situations, adult desire is king. And what kids want is absolutely unimportant. Right, yeah. We can finish with these two thoughts. They they finished the article really just going into um, what, what these two women think will be the biggest issue for their kids going forward is that they live in Florida which is that people says is a, a state hostile to them. So they consider moving to Tennessee, which I was like, wait, I'm confused. Okay. I don't know which state's better or worse in terms of their perspective on being gay friendly. But so that was, you know, there was no mention of, she says at the very end of the article, we want to give these girls the world. And I wrote a note, but not dad, not right. the dad. So that's one thing is they're just really concerned about sort of being accepted in society but maybe not this deeper concern of these children will grow up without maternal love in a sense, and they won't probably ever know their dad unless they're able to do some kind of genetic testing or something later on. The other big thought I had, and she alludes to this when she mentions her sister who breaks up with her wife, what happens to the children legally, just thinking custody wise and legally, and then think of the, yeah, the extended family dynamics. So if these two women were to break up, or get divorced. What happens to the kids? That was the big takeaway for me as I was like, man, what happens when it all, if, if it breaks apart? Yeah, which it, it probably will. I mean, honestly, it probably will just because what we see is um, lesbians have the highest breakup rate, right? They oh, have wow. the highest <laughs> level of breakup and divorce of any of the pairings between like heterosexual couples and gay male couples, gay men can have very long-term relationships. They just do not tend to be exclusive. So high rates of uh, open relationships and gay male relationships, but they do tend to be, they can be very long-term. Um, lesbians tend to be highly exclusive, but short-term. Hmm. And to me, that difference actually is one more uh, piece of evidence that men and women are different. Like we even see in heterosexual divorce that women initiate 70% of divorces in heterosexual marriages. Right. Why? Because women have higher emotional demands in their relationships. So when you've got a pairing of two highly emotionally demanding people, the breakup rates are much higher. And mm -hmm. so they've already seen it lived out in the sister and the ex-partner and mm -hmm. the child. And it blows me away that they think that the family's response is the biggest problem and not the fact that that baby is never gonna have a dad and is now dealing with the instability of a breakup and very likely new partners coming into both of those women's lives. Right. And that very likely is going to be the case for these two children as well. Um, just if you're looking at the stats on lesbian breakup rates. What's going to happen to them really depends on the laws in their area. Um, and this is just a mess, right? Because right now we are starting to see cases, largely thanks to gay marriage, where biology is not the decider mm -hmm. when it comes to who gets the kids, right? We wrote an amicus brief uh, a couple of years ago for a gay man 
who had two children through surrogacy with his ex-partner who was not a genetic father and law a very long complicated story but the courts awarded custody to the unrelated father in the name of equality and gay mm. marriage yeah. right the biological bonds were not the predominant factor in the court's decision but rather equal equality equity was the deciding factor so what is the fate of these kids if these two women break up um my guess is is whatever is is the legal grounds in whatever state they're living in is going to decide this not their biological mm -hmm. connection not the genetic connection or which one carried the child um yeah it's going to be a mess wow yeah well thanks for joining our tbu hot topics we will have many more hot takes on the stories there's so many stories that keep popping up that are so fascinating like we said these are some of the things i haven't even really heard about or considered yet so thanks for joining us and thanks for joining the movement whether you are religious or irreligious whether you are single married gay or straight if you are defending the rights of children you are one of us thanks for joining this global movement to put them the children before us the adults